Let's talk about the future of news. I want you all to know that we are fighting the fake news. The state of journalism today. Telling both sides of a, of a controversial story. I think you must be unbiased. It's uh, honesty, fairness, uh, truth. That is our job. That is our job. That is our job. Welcome once again to the Our Man in Stockholm podcast. My name is Philip O'Connor. Now, to clear things up, uh, there are two podcasts now on the same feed, right? So if you would listen to the Irish in Sweden podcast and this popped up in your feed, this is something different, right? The, the Our Man in Stockholm podcast is about media, it's about society, it's about loads of different things. The Irish in Sweden is specifically about the Irish people in Sweden. Okay, so if you're listening, bah, you might enjoy it anyway. My guest today is none other than Ariel Hawani. Now, I used to be able to say MMA Fighting's Ariel Hawani or ESPN. Ariel Helwani, but I can't say that anymore. Now he is uh, independent Helwani. That's who he has become. So Ariel is, without a shadow of a doubt, the GOAT, the greatest of all time in MMA journalism. He started out on his own with his own website, uh, hustling, making contacts, uh, writing stories, breaking news. And from there, he went on to MMAfighting.com, which is probably our, or arguably the biggest website in the sport. From there, he did work for for Fox News. And then a few years ago, he landed a contract, which was kind of the holy grail for those of us who work with sports. He landed a contract with ESPN and things changed. So throughout that time, he had uh, originally the MMA Hour, which was on MMAfighting.com. Then he had the Ariel Hawani show, which was on ESPN, which was essentially the same thing, just with a different sticker on it. And uh, towards the end of his contract at ESPN, he started to look around at other alternatives, right? So he was made an offer by ESPN, but there was like internal politics. There was external politics with the UFC, which is the biggest promotion in MMA. And then there was the idea of what did he himself want to do, okay? Coming up to 40 years of age, um, you know, the money he was on was pretty good. There's no doubt about it. He was getting to live his childhood dream. But was this really the future or would he want to do something else? So that was when Independent Helwani was born. Uh, since then, he's done deals with The Ringer and Spotify. So he does a regular podcast, which is amazing. They do a weigh-in podcast before the big fight shows. And also, as soon as the main events are over, they sign on himself, my good friend P.T. Carroll, and Chuck Mindenhall, who's one of the most thoughtful uh, and brilliant writers in mixed martial arts. Everything this guy has to say has to say about MMA is worth listening to. You may not agree with it, but it's definitely worth listening to. And they just they jump on, and they have callers. They talk about fights themselves, and then they have callers coming in, and they answer questions, and they listen to their thoughts, and they deal with them. And it's just... It's fantastic, it's lively, it's energetic. Uh, Ariel is also writing for Substack. He's one of the people who was brought in by Substack to, to bring an audience with him. And he does excellent writing work there. It's great to see him getting back to writing. He's working with MGM Bets, so he does content for them as well. And essentially, as you'll hear in the discussion, he's probably making a lot more money now than what uh, he was doing so before. But throughout this conversation, one of the things that we keep coming back to is mental health and anxiety and the things that you go through as a freelancer, the kind of decisions you have to make, because we're not only freelancers and journalists, but we're also men, we're fathers, we're men among other men and women who are doing the same job. So, you know, oftentimes these things can get clouded out. You can hear guys talking at a bar, but, you know, an awful lot of these things get buried and get swallowed up, and an awful lot of people live under an awful lot of stress. So Ariel talks about uh, how he got in touch with a therapist and how that helped him, not just in his personal life, but also in terms of making decisions for his careers. Now, I'm not going to do that thing of where I tell you about the conversation, and then he tells you exactly the same thing. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, Ariel Hawani talking to me on the Arrowman in Stockholm podcast. If you want to support, it's Arrowman in Stockholm. Or no, it's not. It's patreon.com forward slash Arrowman in Stockholm. And there you will get both the Irish and Sweden podcast and the Arrowman in Stockholm podcast. But look at, listen to this first. 
independent Helwani is a man I've wanted to have a sh- on the show for quite some time now, ever since you've moved from ESPN. So can I just begin by asking you if it's better to have one big fat contract or several smaller contracts that are almost as fat as what you used to have, if not fatter? Oh, I mean, without getting, first off, great to talk to you again. I thank and, you. And uh, same here. I, I always appreciate your, your support and friendship. Um, I mean, without, uh, getting too into the weeds uh the 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 quote-unquote smaller contracts combined is is much bigger than what i was making at espn so um it's a it was a no-brainer for me uh as as i've said they did offer me something and i'm appreciative of it and i'm appreciative of the time and the opportunity and the experience but i mean it's it's bigger in the multiples and so uh to have that freedom to have the independence, to have the uh, opportunity to, you know, work for other people and with other people and to make more money uh, made it a no-brainer. When did you realize, Ariel, that this was going to be an option, right? Because you kind of had that kind of career where, you know, things moved along for you at a lovely pace and you got to ESPN, which is kind of the holy grail for, for people who work in sports. But then all of a sudden you started to think, well, maybe I can do different things. Maybe I can go to Spotify. Maybe I can go to Substack. Maybe I can do these deals with MGM. When did that become apparent to you that that might be a path you would go down? Um, I would say it became apparent around March, April of this past year. So, you know, at the beginning of the year, um, well, I'd say as of last summer, obviously I knew I had one year left on my contract. My contract was up in June. And so a year out, I'm sort of starting to think, okay, how's this going to play out? Of course, we're also in the midst of uh, the pandemic and a lot of people are unfortunately losing their jobs at ESPN. So I was very curious to see how it would play out. And I also knew about, you know, the potential issues there with the UFC and whatnot. Um, So as of last summer, I started to think, but I would be lying if I said that I was hoping to leave, if only because, you know, my show with Daniel Cormier was really gaining some momentum. And for the most part, I was happy, you know, I was doing um, the NBA stuff and I would kind of ignore the issues um, as best as possible. But then as the year went on, and as the new year started, and I realized that they weren't going to offer me what I wanted and what I was looking for. And, uh, and honestly, like when the uh, restrictions started to become tighter, all of a sudden, I started to think, okay, what am I going to do? And I actually uh, started to uh, talk to a therapist because I had a lot of things on my mind and I felt like I needed some clarity. And I'm actually quite certain that if I didn't talk to the therapist, I probably would have stayed almost out of spite because I didn't want other people to win. Um, and then I, I realized that like, obviously I'm losing if I do that and they're winning if I stay actually. And if I go out and do what's best for me and my family and my sanity and my, my, uh, my happiness, there's a lot of great opportunities out there. And, and then what I started to realize come April, May, was that like a lot of people wanted to work with me and uh, didn't mind as long as nothing overlapped and there were no conflicts, didn't mind if I did this for these people and did that for those people. And it all just kind of fit like a puzzle. I always kind of compared it to a puzzle. And uh, then kind of in mid-June, it all came together. Mm. 
Um, Ariel, if you don't want to answer any of these questions, I obviously don't have to answer them, but I would like to ask you what it was that the therapist gave you, okay? Because from the outside in, a lot of people will be looking at you in MMA media and seeing you. I mean, like I adored the fact that you were on the side on NBA games because I know how much the Knicks and basketball mean to you. And you look like the guy who had it made. Yet, obviously, sort of internally in yourself, you weren't happy. So in what way was the therapist able to help you find your way out of that? Well, I, I had, um, I appreciate that. You know, I have a, a lot of, uh, I don't know, conflicts, issues. I'm a very anxious person. And I think the anxiety has been an engine that has helped propel my career. But it has also, you know, it's been something that I've had to deal with. I never spoke to anyone about it. And in early February, I was asked to go to do sidelines for a Bucks Pacers game which, you know, as you know, I love basketball and these are opportunities that I wanted. And I just, I felt like I physically couldn't get on the plane. This would have been my first flight since mm -hmm. the pandemic. Um, and, you know, I wasn't vaccinated or anything. I just didn't feel comfortable. And I also um, was staring at, you know, the potential end of my time at ESPN. And there was just a lot going on. And I felt like, you know, I felt like the UFC was, was killing my dream. I felt like all this stuff. Um, and I needed to talk it out. And over time, what I came to realize was like, I just, you know, I want to be happy. I want, I want to be, uh, I want to do the things that don't bring me anxiety. I want to be around people that make me happy, that are good teammates that look out for me, that aren't trying to, you know, stab me in the back, that aren't jealous. Um, and I want to work for people that support me, that, you know, there are no conflicts, all these things. And so I just needed to talk that out and uh, come to those realizations. And, you know, that was for me, I think uh, people have a million reasons why they would go to a therapist. And I still talk to her till this day, even though, you know, everything's been sort of figured out, if you will, because there's a ton of other stuff you could talk about. I would just highly recommend it to anyone who needs like a sort of third party voice, not a family member, someone who you could just talk to. And honestly, it's like a very selfish relationship, right? Because I'm used to saying like, how was your day? And here you don't have to do that. Um, it's all about you. And so it really helped me kind of like open up the clouds and uh, determine, like make a lot of decisions. I, you know, parted ways with my agent. I was unhappy there. Like it really, I mean, this woman really helped me um, figure out a lot of things that have now ultimately made me a lot happier. I think it's important just to explore this a little bit because especially we as men don't talk about these things. And I'll be straight with you, man. I probably should have gone to see a therapist years ago. My wife would probably maintain that I still need to go, but I kind of found my own path and I found happiness. That's not to say that I do everything right. But would I be right in saying that because all of us who work in sort of media or in sports or, you know, in any field of life, we have a certain amount of this imposter syndrome. We feel that at some point somebody's going to come up to us on press row, the best seats in the house, just before we talk to a million people and tap us on the shoulder and say, hey, buddy, you don't belong here. Was that something that you felt or was it more an internal thing that, you know, the anxieties came from within more so? Well, I certainly have felt that before. Like I always say, like, I feel like this is a dream that's going to end. I feel mm -hmm. like I want some sort of lottery. I can't believe like there I am standing Christmas day doing Raptors Celtics. Like what the hell that, that who the hell am I? How did I end up here? Mm -hmm. um, so I felt that before, but I think like the anxiety comes from, you know, performance, um, not feeling like I'm going to deliver or, you know, I've always had like confidence issues and stuff like that. And, 
you know, I'll be honest. See, here I am talking to you about it. And then I'm sure like if someone's listening to this, like there's Ariel playing the victim. When in reality, I mean, this is the same thing that I would do to a fighter. I'm asking them a question. They're they're so-and-so making excuses. I'm just telling you how I feel. Like, Mm. you know, at times I've been dealt a pretty bad hand in this game. And I would, uh, I, I would strongly say that I have never licked my wounds. I've never felt sorry for myself. I've never asked anyone to feel sorry for me. I've just, you know, been open about the journey because I think that it might help others and it helps me as well to be open and not to keep things internal. But like, I, I have a little PTSD from my time at Fox. I have a little PTSD from, you know, getting the Showtime gig yanked away from me. Um, I definitely have PTSD from my time at ESPN. Like, so, you know, because of the thing, you know, the banning and all that stuff. So, you know, that probably led to a little bit of it. And I've always just wanted wanted to be that person who, you know, woke up when he's 80 and said, you know, you did the right thing. You, you, you chose the right paths. You know, you made the most of your life. And I was feeling that I was kind of feeling soulless towards the end there. Now, I just want to reiterate, like, I hold no ill will towards ESPN whatsoever. It was a great three years. It was a great experience. I don't regret leaving. Um, I got to do a lot of things. In fact, my, t- my, my mindset there was like, do as much as you can as quickly as possible, because who knows when this is going to end. Cause I thought it was going to be yanked away from me, not so much because of my performance, but because of like those other issues. And so I, I don't like not watch ESPN, not want to support ESPN, not want to talk about ESPN. It was what it was. And in fact, it propelled me to these other things now. So, you know, everything I'd like to think happens for a reason, but yes, I, I, uh, I've definitely had to deal with these things. And, and honestly, I couldn't talk about them for a long time, but I'm, I feel very empowered now and comfortable enough and the response anytime I talk about these things such as therapy and whatnot is so great that it makes me feel good that maybe I can help one other person well I think it's really important man because there's so few of us who talk about these things and who have the nerve to talk about these things and you know in a few weeks time I'll be talking about like every Christmas I talk about how low I was in 1999 and again I haven't gone down the therapy route but when I remember where I was that's the point where I should have started you know and it's also it's a little bit of a red flag to me when people go hey man just man up that's your job you get paid millions of dollars they're the very people who need to call a fucking therapist at that point, I often find, you know, because they're putting on this sort of, you know, oh, well, that's just life and that's how things are. And it's not, you know, the most important thing, like you say, is to be able to sleep at night. But um, if we could move on to one of the other things that um, uh, that <laughs> might require even more therapy, what would your the, the relationship between independent Halwani and the UFC look like at the moment? If you apply it for an accreditation in the morning, do you think uh, they'd approve it? I honestly don't know the answer. I'd like to think so. I mean, I don't think that I'm being unfair or irresponsible or anything of that nature. You know, I think there's been a bit of revisionist history. You know, I was banned and unbanned in 2016. From 2016 to 2018, I was still working for MMA fighting. I was still, you know, on the outside looking in. Then, of course, I joined ESPN in 2018. Um, My last event in person was March of 2020, right before the pandemic um izzy versus romero and i didn't go to an event because they didn't send any of us Mm. um and then they were only sending you know like brett is in vegas so it didn't require travel disney was being very strict and then actually i was supposed to go to the glendale event uh the nate diaz leon edwards one um but then you know it was literally two days before the end and they were like you know you can just stay home we don't want to make a show out of the whole thing which was totally fine and understandable so i don't know why anything why I would be banned now like what would be the reason the only thing I could think of is like oh maybe enough time has passed where like they just forgot about me but um I have not applied for a credential since March of 2020 
Um, you know, they were at MSG and there's no real, look, when I, I have all these things, right. And my fight night, well, like the weigh-in slash fight night duties are with Spotify and the ringer, right. The hmm. shows that I do with, um, PT and Chuck. And I've talked to Bill Simmons and I've talked to them about like, Hey, do you want us at the event? No, we don't really think like get literally like the moment, the paper, like the moment Amanda Nunes or what was it on Saturday, Dustin Poirier is signing off. Like we're live. And hmm. I don't think that could happen if, uh, we're at a press event, there's press conference media, there's people walking around. And so I get the, I get the idea of trying to go live right away. Yeah. And so they, they have said, you know, you don't, we don't, we don't think you. And so that's said, we think you should go. I would, I would apply. I would also tell you, you know, especially in my year and a half traveling there, you know, post MMA fighting, once I got the SPN, they definitely went out of their way to not make me feel welcome. Um, and, you know, there's a part of me now I'm almost 40 and I have three kids. Like, why do I have to deal with that? And what am I getting at these events? Other than, you know, the joke that I say, the picture of like someone tweeting a picture of the octagon and saying my office for the night, like, what are you getting? You know, what access are you getting? What, what special stuff are you getting? Now you can be a grinder and go to hotels and like I used to do, but like I did that. And so, you know, I will admit like on Saturdays, yeah, there's a part of me. that's like, man, you know, I miss being in the locker room. I miss the sweaty guys. I miss, you know, interviewing the guys with blood on their face. I, I miss all of that. No doubt but I'm very happy. Like there's no part of me that regrets or is depressed. And I would, I hope that I could go to a UFC event one day in the future, but just to be clear, like I have not been banned. At least I have not been told that I'm banned. It's because of me. I'm the one who's not applying and it's because of my job. They're telling me they'd rather us do it from home. And so I will do it from home. Uh, and that's the you, truth. And you can ask PT and Chuck the exact same thing. Oh, no, I know. And I've listened to you say this on the podcast a couple of times. And that was really why I wanted to ask you, because, I mean, one of the things that, uh, that I love about, about sport, it's live sport, right? I was at a soccer game uh, last Thursday night in the Women's Champions League. It was freezing cold. It was snowing. And I was delighted because I like to be there and I like to be able to see and I like to be able to hear yeah. what's going on. And especially yeah, when Khabib fought Connor there in, um, in Las Vegas, they put me up in the gods, you know, this sort of ring that goes around the top. And like, you can't hear anything from there. You can see what's going on but you may as well be at home in new york i'm watching on tv you right know? do you yep. miss that at all do you miss being cage side do you miss i know that chuck goes to some small local shows and the pc would watch you know two people fighting outside a chip shop if you had a chance yeah. uh, do you miss that at all i miss so i haven't actually sat cage side in a very long time because when i was with espn we'd be mm -hmm. all the way at the top and when i was at mma fighting they wouldn't put me cage side you know post fox stuff so i've actually not had a seat cage side and when i was working for fox uh, I would be in the back doing the interviews. Yeah. So I can't even remember the last time I watched an event cage side, uh, maybe a fight or two, but like the actual full event, there was no, cause I, I, I wasn't like traditional writer guy. Mm -hmm. So even if there were times actually they gave me a seat <clears throat> and I would give it back to them because I was like, I don't need to be here. Let, give it to someone else in the second row or whatever. So um, I will say, this is what I miss. I miss seeing people, you know, seeing the fighters and the, the, um, the coaches and the managers and the family members, you know, these people, you see them all the time. Yeah. So I miss that. You miss the, the, you know, you're waiting in line to get a coffee and there's so-and-so who you haven't talked to, or there's a guy that you can, you know, uh, develop a relationship with like those impromptu relationship uh, starters are really key, especially early on. So I would never advocate for anyone to cover any sport from home. Like that's not the way you get by. You have to, especially for someone who, gives opinion like you need to be there you need to show your face um 
but I think I show my, you know, I show my face on my show and I bring people on and I invite people on who don't like me on my show. Um, so yes, there is a, you know, like when I get to do the showtime stuff now, it's great. There's a different kind of buzz, there's a different kind of energy. And I want to go back to, to events at some point when the, the time is right, but I'd be a fool to be like, Hey, uh, Ringer, thanks. Um, this is a great thing you're giving me, but I want to just be at the event so I can ask one question at a press conference and tweet a picture of the octagon and say my office for the night. Like they don't need me. There's no real need for me to be there. Like, honestly, I don't work for ESPN. I don't work for the rights holder other than to say like, yeah, the crowd was super loud. Yeah. It's just, this is not where my path is right now. And I'm having so much fun. You know, I was wondering like, Oh, how would the show be with PT and Chuck and the call? Like I've never done like a call in show like this yeah. and to have the, you know, sometimes I just want to get right to the calls because they're so funny. Um, so I, I, I really, I really am enjoying it. And it has taken away any sort of FOMO that I may have. <clears throat> just to get onto that particular show, because you have three pack now, you're doing this thing for the ringer with Spotify. I walked past their offices this morning. I'm going to take a picture of that and say my office for tonight at some oh. point, you know, uh, but I walked past there and I, like I was, uh, we had Dustin Poirier at the weekend fighting against Charles Oliveira. We had Amanda Nunes, Juliana Pena. And uh, like, it was like seven o'clock in the morning and you were just starting up, you know, several times over, but you were starting up the podcast there. Uh -huh. Right. Um, yeah. it is an amazing show. What is it that makes it work so well? I mean, you mentioned the callers is one thing, but there seems to be this great chemistry and i don't know whose idea it was to get chuck and pt was that your idea hell yeah it was my idea and i'm yeah, very proud it of was. that <laughs> it's of a course. brilliant idea um well we're, we're we're all different um and uh look i knew that i wanted to get back to my mma hour show the interview show right yeah. eventually like that i know it was going to be with mma fighting not but like eventually it led me to there and so that was kind of you know the main centerpiece if you will but then there were these other opportunities to do other stuff. Like with MMA Hour, it was just, oh, Monday, Wednesday. Well, what about the weekend? What about fight nights? You know, what? I've never done an immediate like Saturday night post show, right? Hmm. Uh, it would be like you'd have to almost wait for my thoughts till Monday. Well, I think there's an opportunity to get those like immediate raw thoughts. And sometimes my thoughts on Saturday aren't the same as my thoughts on Monday because I've had a little more time to digest. Yeah. Um, and so when I was talking to people, there was one group that I was going to go with, but they didn't want to bring any of my friends. And I was talking to these guys and they liked the idea, you know, Chuck had done work for the ringer in the past. And uh, I told them about PT and I knew that he would be a great fit. And one thing that I really tried to do in this new chapter was I wanted to help as many people as possible. I wanted to get uh, pe people work, people jobs. I wanted to work with friends. Uh, some of it was selfish. Like I wanted to work with them, but Hey, if they could get paid too and have great jobs as well. Amazing. So yeah. Uh, I pitched that idea and I thought we would work really well. Of course, like you don't know what's going to happen with the college, but like, I think the chemistry is great. I think we don't step on each other's toes. I think we're all very supportive of each other. It's like, there's not a jealous, you know, bone in our bodies towards each other. Hmm. And, and then, and then like we've developed this, you know, I grew up listening to Howard Stern and he, and he would have uh, like a group of callers called the whack pack. Now they're not wacky per se, but I love the, uh, I love the group of callers that we have. Like they've become, you know, there's like, I can, I can rifle their names off the top of my head right now. They're a great group of people and there's new ones that pop in all the time and we're building it. Like this past week, we had our most live listeners. I think desktop and app we had around, we were at like 3000 and you know, that's pretty damn great for like an app that no one's heard of six months ago, audio only. Uh, I'm, I'm very proud of it. So yeah, I think, I think it's great. I think the callers are a huge part of what makes it so much fun.
It's incredible. I remember listening to the first couple and like it's such a no-brainer because exactly what you're saying there. What I think about fights directly after they finished, uh, there's a friend of mine here in Sweden called Ville Mutakangas, who's a huge uh, Connor fan, a huge MMA fan. And we'd be talking about, but he didn't watch the fights live. So, you know, he was talking about me in the afternoon, talking to me about them in the afternoon. I was going, yeah, yeah, but no. And then you go back and watch it and you sort of revise your opinion. So getting that fresh and not having to wait until, you know, sort of uh, 6, 7, 8 p.m. the Central European time to hear what you thought of it is a, is a, a huge bonus. Um, can I ask you about the MMA hour show that you do that's never been an hour? It's always been two, three, four hours long. Yeah. How much of that is you uh, WhatsApping and texting? Do you set the whole show up yourself? Do you have, you know, now that you're uh, making multiple millions of dollars, do you have minions chasing people? Uh, do you only speak to the creme de la creme yourself? It's so funny that you asked me this question because I am uh, driving to do the show right now. And uh, the show started in June of 2009. It is uh, December of 2021. And of course, in, in, uh, in the three years at ESPN, it wasn't called the MMA Hour, but we did a very similar show just called mm-hmm. Ariel Hawani's MMA Show. Uh, I am the only person to ever book a guest on the show in the uh, 12-year history of the show, 12-plus year history. So yes, I was tracking down Juliana Pena. And yes, every week I say to myself, God, I hate this. And I hate having to ask these people. And why, why, like, is there any host on the planet that does this? And why can't I get a booker that I trust? But I just don't. Um, And so, yes, it's all me. What's happening? And it's so, it's so funny. Like, I know everyone's tendencies. I can tell you the time zone that they're in. I can tell you the best person to reach out for this person. I can tell you if they're a WhatsApp person or an iMessage person or an Android person. Like I know everyone, I know if I'm about to text them and it's going to turn green. I know if they're a D an Instagram DM person, like I, I, I free, it's a job unto itself. And I wish I will say this. It's the least favorite part of my week. It's the least favorite part of my jobs because the anxiety of trying to track them down, especially after a big Saturday night on a Sunday, Sunday supposed to be like kind of your rest day. It's not for me. And, um, and then the anxiety of them showing up, like there's no better feeling. We have a Slack channel and there's a guy who like tracks them down to hook them up to the show. And there's no better feeling than when he's like, Darren Till is on. I'm like, oh, thank God. Until that point, I'm like, oh, are we going to have to track this guy down? Is he going to be reliable? Is he going to remember? Is he going to forget? Is he going to have to reschedule? Is he going to cancel? It's the worst. I'll tell you, Sunday night to Monday, um, like when I'm sleeping, I probably check my phone four or five times in the middle of the night just waiting for that text like hey man i have to reschedule it's horrible but you know there's way worse things that you could do in life so that's a long-winded way of saying no it's always me no but it's, it's great to find out how the sausage is made right so if we say if you're gonna have six guests on the show on a monday how many guests have you actually booked do you have somebody extra up your sleeve if somebody does oh, that's the worst <laughs> that's the worst part because like sometimes you can't you don't hear from someone and then you reach out to someone else to replace them and then finally the person who you didn't hear from gets back to you and now you you have to kind of you know figure things out so one good thing is that i have this second show now so there's less pressure i would say if i can't get someone monday oh wednesday is all right you don't have to wait till the following week but it is a game like you have to know who takes a long time sometimes you gotta know who you're dealing with so like there's some people who need like several days to respond but then you also have to you know predict the weekend right so you don't want to book too many people before Saturday because what if there's all these great results and now you're left with all these people that no one really wants to hear from because they want to hear from the people from Saturday. So 
yeah, it's, it's a whole, I mean, sausage is made, like it's a whole process, man. Honestly, it's a job unto itself. No doubt about it. I was just thinking there that, you know, if we look back at the odds before the weekend, I know you do a little bit of work with MGM and MGM would have had huge odds on Juliana, Pe- uh, Juliana Pena winning. So, you know, I'm thinking that, you know, you kind of has sent the text to Amanda Nunes going, I might want to talk to you on Monday. Yeah. And now all of a sudden you got to change tack, you know, so that must be fun. No, no, no. So I never, I never do the, I might want to talk to you because then I don't want to have to bail if they lose. Yeah. But, uh, I will also say Amanda Nunez is not very good. When like I haven't had her on in a while, she doesn't do any media unless it's fight week. Seven years so, I've been chasing that woman, man. <laughs> yeah, so there you go. You know exactly. Um, so that was like a wash. Like if she would have won, okay, all good. But now Juliana Pena wins, and I have a good relationship with Juliana. Uh, in fact, you know, like this year she cut a few damn good promos about this fight before it was made on the show. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to talking to her. I'm just thinking as well, Ariel, because today, I, the, the first time I met you was probably five years ago at a Connor fight in Vegas or something like that, right? That's the first time we actually said hi. And it, five years ago, and it took me until today to get your number, right? So do you have a whole lot of fighters texting you going, give me your number, give me your number. How do I get to Ariel Hawani? Or do you still have to chase them? Oh, uh, by, by the way, there's no real reason for that. No, I know. Honest. We, we, can, we uh, talked over Twitter for years. Like, I'm just trying to make you look yeah, like the yeah, bad yeah. guy here. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no. Um, <laughs> I will say one nice thing that has happened over the years is, you know, I do get pitched a little more, right? Mm. Uh, as opposed to in the early days where I was chasing everyone down. But if the big dogs, like, you know, the biggest are, aren't pitching themselves to you. You have to track them down. Um, and there's all kinds of ways. Uh, I'll t- like, I'll tell you, like, there's sometimes people are like, oh, you know, um, I, I want to, you know, could, you know, like you have to almost barter. Like sometimes with managers, like, hey, can you get this young guy on for me? all right, I'll get the young guy on, but give me the big dog. Okay, fine. You know, like you have to play that game all the time. So um, I, but I, no, I, I'm, I'm not afraid to give out my number or anything like that. You know, most, and and by the way, like I'm the one texting them the whole time and then reminding them and then reminding them Sunday night and then reminding them Monday morning (laughs) and then texting them a thank you on Monday or Wednesday night. Um, So it's like, you know, now the Rolodex is pretty, is pretty hefty because of all those interactions. Uh, do you find working with MMA fighters because the worst thing I would imagine is that it's MMA is a lot different from other sports, right? It's not like the other kids in the class. So when you're doing an NBA game and they say, okay, you're going to talk to uh, LeBron James before this game and they bring you LeBron James and you ask your questions and they get rid of it and it's on the minute, you know, they literally say, okay, yeah. eight minutes before the game, you're going to talk to him for ESPN. MMA doesn't work like that. It could take several days for your interviewee to show up at some points. So do you find that frustrating? Do you find that like, I mean, I know you talked about the anxiety, but you know, uh, they turn up when they want something from you, but maybe if you want something from them that they're not as quick to respond are they professional would you say or, or is there improvements that could be made there no no i actually think they're really professional like i mean um you know when i do the show like for the most part i hope i'm not jinxing myself today but for the most part uh they're they're on time and you know they're gracious with their time uh i, I would much prefer, like the reason why this show s- succeeds and exists and the reason why i exist is because of them. Like I've been around the NBA players a little bit. They don't look you in the eye. They mm. couldn't care less. There's a massive divide between you and them. It's not like that. You know, the, the, the MMA fighters, you know, they need to sell themselves. They need to promote themselves. And so there's a great relationship, I think for the most part with the media. Um, so no, I, I would not change. I mean, if anything, it's like, you know, the promotions that don't do a great job, but the fighters are always ready and willing for the most part. 
Um, if we just round back to the sort of the business end of things, and again, I didn't want to, to ask you what it was you were making, but when I realized you could pay for parking in Manhattan, I went, whoa, this guy's rich. Um, where, <laughs> do you, where do you see this going in like, you know, four or five years? Could you ever see yourself going back to a Fox Sports and ESPN, like a big network job? Or, or is Independent Helwani here to stay? Well, I think Indep- Independent Helwani could be uh, someone who does work for those people. Like I'm working for Showtime this weekend for the Jake Paul, Tyron Woodley fight. Um, I did that um, in August and now we're doing it again, the same fight. It's wild. Um, so I think that there's opportunities to do that. I will say though, I mean, I would be surprised, you know, never say never, but right now the idea of working for multiple people and having, you know, uh, multiple relationships and, and revenue streams and things like that is a lot more appealing than having one exclusive home. Uh, because like fun things keep popping up. For example, you know, like when they offered me, they offered me to be the post-fight interviewer for the Ben Askren, Jake Paul fight. Oh, wow. And I had to turn it down because ESPN said no. And that bummed <sighs> me out. Like I wasn't working that night. I had nothing going on. Like what do I, and I mean, it was great money. I'll tell you that much. And, and I just felt like I, I had prior to the August fight with Woodley and Paul, I'd never been a post-fight interviewer before, like in the, in the ring or in the cage, you know, because you have to work for the promotion to do that. And so there's no opportunities in MMA in the sport that I cover. So this was perfect. It was an MMA fighter and this wacky event. And I was like, Oh, this would be a great way to finally get to do this. And then it all worked out. I got to do the thing for Showtime and who knows where that's going to go. Um, but yeah, so I prefer this multiple home life as opposed to one exclusive home. I just have one last question for you, my friend, and I but no thank problem. you for your time and for your insights and everything like that. But um, given all that's happened over the last year or so, how do you sleep at night these days? Apart from Sunday nights when you got the show on a Monday, but how do you sleep from yeah. sort of Monday to Saturday? Well, there's also Tuesday nights because I have the show on Wednesday. That's um, true. <laughs> yeah. How do I, I sleep? And your small children too, so. Yes, yes. I, I am very, very thankful. I am very grateful from where I started this year mentally. Uh, to where I am now, you know, we're, we're talking at the end of the year as we wrap things up. Um, I really didn't know how this would play out. Would I have to stay at ESPN and be unhappy because I had nowhere else to go? Would I have to stay there because I wanted to prove people wrong because I wanted to keep people unhappy in spite of them? I had to stay, um, you know, would there be options out there Would would MMA fighting box want me back Would a great place like Spotify want to work with me and, uh, Substack at BetMGM and Showtime and all these places like uh, BT. Um, I, don't, I don't know, you know, so like it was very, it was very nerve wracking. It was super, super stressful in like March, April, May. Um, and, and I'm just so, I'm so grateful. And if I could just say like, man, holy smokes, you know, the relationship between the, the public and the, the media, fans and the media is often a very contentious one. You know, like people are almost like bred to not trust the media, not like the media, et cetera. I just want, and I, I know it's not a Nobel Peace Prize. I know it's, you know, nothing to like really get too excited about, but I won that Fetters Only Award on Friday. And that was my 11th straight year winning it. And the only reason why it means anything to me, honestly, is because people actually went and voted for me. Yeah. And I never campaign. I never ask anyone to vote for me. And it's like, wow, these people through all the crap, through all the shit, through all the important people telling them not to like me, trying to hurt my position, trying to get people not to talk to me, trying to ban me from events, trying to diminish my worth, all this stuff. They've seen through that 
and they've followed me every step of the way and they've supported me, me and they've said they had my back and they've sent me incredibly nice things, people that I've never met and probably will never meet. And so like, that is just mind blowing. Like who the hell am I? What did I do to deserve this? Um, and so I, I just really am appreciative. I'm trying, you know, as part of my, th- like I'm trying to be more in the moment, more appreciative. I actually heard Dan Hooker say this recently, anxiety lives in the future. And so I'm trying to be more present, be more grateful, more happy, try not to take things so seriously. Like, hey, if someone doesn't show up today, it's not the end of the world. Five other people showed up. You know, that's life. Things are going to happen. So I, I just feel I'm, I'm much more aware of these thoughts as opposed to just being a person who was just a walking stress ball. I'm much more aware. I'm a, I'm a, you know, I'm, I work out a lot more. I'm trying to be more healthy. I'm, I'm so proud to be a dad and a husband. I love my kids, especially where they're at right now. I'm getting all emotional on you here, but like, that's just where the way I am and the way I feel at the moment. And I'm just really thankful for uh, as crazy as this year has been, how it all played out. Well, I think it's fantastic, brother, because when you come out of the clouds like that, when you get away from that anxiety, when you actually feel what it is, what you're doing now is real living, you know, because in the past when we were ambitious and when you wanted to do things, but you don't know where to go and you're depending on other people and you're depending on what other people think of you, that's a terrible position to be in because your happiness lies in their hands and that's not how it should be. And the Fighters Only Award is a perfect illustration of how much people appreciate you because you're genuine and because you give of yourself. It's not because you know so much or because you know everybody in the game. It's because every time you get on that microphone you're telling them something that you believe to be true and that's the most valuable thing that you can do and that you do every week for the people who listen to you ariel i gotta let you go thank you so much for talking to me um and uh, hopefully we'll have a good chance to meet again soon maybe not cage side maybe at uh, whatever ah. wonderful studio it's at in new york that you're sitting in these days that would be lovely i always appreciate you and and uh, honestly you're i love your questions i love how thoughtful you are and especially how supportive you are of me of pizzi of our work Uh, You're a tremendous journalist as well and a tremendous person. And uh, I appreciate your friendship very much. So uh, hopefully the audio worked this time. And uh, thank you for having me. And I'll be happy to come on again in the future as well. Thank you, brother. I'll be here for the, till the very end for you. (laughs) Appreciate it. Thank you, Phil.